Good morning, church. The reading is uh, from the book of Job, chapter 19, and you can find that on page 522 in the Red Bibles. Page 522 in the Red Bibles. I'd like to use this medium to say thank you to the leadership of the church for giving me the privilege to take the Bible reading today. Job 19, from verse 1. Then Job replied, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me, shamelessly you attacked me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains concerned alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so that I cannot pass. He has shrouded my path in darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. It tears me down in every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His hunger burns against me. He counts me among the enemies. His troop advance in force. They build a siege ram against me and encamp around my tent. He has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests, my female servants, count me a foreigner. They look upon me as a stranger. I summon my servants, but it does not answer. Though I beg with my own words, my breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my feet. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, it will stand on the earth, and after my skin, has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say, how will you hunt him, since the root of trouble lies in him, you should fear the swords yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword. And then you will know that there is judgment. This 
is the word of the Lord. Well, hello everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Jack. I'm the curate here. Please do grab a Bible, have one uh, open, available to you if you can, while we look through this passage. But as we begin, why don't we open with prayer? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Job that we've just heard read for us and for the real depth of emotion and feeling that is here. We pray that as we think about this passage now that you would be drawing us to Jesus, to your Son, our Redeemer. Amen. Many people begin to follow Jesus when everything in life is okay. Everything's all right and then you become a Christian and, and it's the icing on the cake. Life seems good. Some people begin to follow Jesus when things are actually bad. But becoming a Christian suddenly makes everything seem that bit better. They're filled with joy. And suddenly, life seems good. But then at some point, life stops seeming good. Many of us know what that feeling is like. Maybe it's work or health or family. Something goes wrong and life isn't good anymore. And maybe in those moments we have a thought that we've never had before. We think, hang on, I thought God was supposed to be for me. But now he seems to be against me. Is God for me or against me? And that is the key question that Job is wrestling with today. Before all this happened, everything in life had gone right for Job. He had the ancient equivalent of the American dream, didn't he? He had everything he could possibly have wanted. Of course he thought that God was for him. But now, now it's all gone wrong. To make matters worse, his three friends have grown hoarse, telling Job that the calamity that has befallen him is punishment from God. See, the world is simple to them. You get out what you put in. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. God is giving Job bad, so Job must have done bad. It's all deserved. As far as they're concerned, God is against Job. And so they say, come on, Job, repent. Turn back to God, and then maybe he'll stop his judgment on you. And we've seen in previous weeks that Job has always insisted again and again that though he isn't perfect, he's no worse than them. He confesses all his faults. He tries to live a life of holiness and obedience to God, and he still holds to that here. But as the chapters have gone by, Job begins to think that maybe his friends are partially right. It does seem 
that God has turned against him. As he sits in the literally the dust and ashes of his life, how else, he thinks to himself, can he explain what has happened? But he still says he doesn't know why God is doing this. He insists that it isn't deserved. It isn't fair. We see this in verse 6 and verse 7. God has wronged me. There is no justice. It's important for us to note about Job at this point that he never wrestles with two questions that we might wrestle with. The two questions of whether God is real or of whether God is in control and powerful, they never cross his mind. Job always takes for granted, knows that those things are true. Instead, the terrifying conclusion Job is drawn to is that God, who was for him, is now against him. What a horrible, horrible thought that the one who breathed life into us, controls every atom of our being, might turn against us. We see this in this passage, first of all in verses 7 to 12, where Job says God is against him. But we also see it in verses 13 to 20, where Job says, not only is God against me, he has turned everyone else against me too. Verses 7 to 12, God's against him. Verses 13 to 20, everyone's against him. Let's take each of those sections in turn. Firstly, Verses 7 to 12. And in those verses, Job describes what God has done to him as as being like a gang of thugs surrounding him, mugging him. God blocks his way, strips him of all of his worth and honor. The anger of God unleashed in verse 11 is so violent, Job depicts himself as being This old, frail man in a little tent, all on his own, surrounded by an entire attacking army of God. This this isn't just slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. The very siege ramps of God are up against him. And I think verse 10 is particularly poignant there, isn't it? He tears me down. On every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. I wonder, have you ever felt like Job is feeling here? Have you ever had your dreams torn down? Your hopes uprooted? Have you ever asked in pain or confusion, God, I thought you were for me but you seem to be against me. In verses 13 to 20, Job moves on to say not only is God against him, but he's turned everyone else against him too. 
It's often in the darkest times of suffering that our family and friends prove to be such a blessing to us. But now Job says that God has turned his nearest and dearest against him. His closest friends have abandoned him. His family consider him loathsome. His wife hates the very breath that he breathes. And this rejection ripples outwards so that everyone is against him. Even his servants, once so attentive to his every beck and call, simply ignore him. The little children in the street mock him. Everyone assumes that what has happened to Job proves that God is against him and that he has deserved it. Job has no one on his side. And he asks, who will stand for me? My dad got cancer when I was 16, and he died when I was 22. So my children, who are out at the moment, they never knew him. When we visit his graveside, they ask questions. What was he like? What did he do? As they get older, they will ask more questions. And everything that they will know of him, of their granddad Richard, is what we tell them. And Job, in our passage, well, he despairs because he realizes that the same will be the case for him. When he dies, other people's testimony will be all that is left. And he sees at that very moment that the words passed on about him will not be so kind. Perhaps of everything that drives Job's to the depth of despair, this is the worst. He thinks, when I'm gone and my body is in the ground, all those people will stand there and have only bad words for me. Condemnation is how I will be remembered. Here lies Job, a great sinner cut down in his prime by the righteous judgment of God. And verses 21 to 22 are a pathetic, heart-wrenching cry for his friends to hear him. Listen to me. But they ignore him. And so we see in verses 23 to 24, he just longs to be able to record his own testimony so that future generations can hear his cry. He hopelessly longs even for a tombstone on which he can engrave his innocence. Something, anything that would speak a better word for him forever. And friends, this is bleak stuff. The book of Job, it, it plums the depths of human despair. Never fall for the claim that the Bible is just abstract. That it doesn't know what it is to be human. That it doesn't understand the depths of our hearts and the pains they suffer. And I wonder if at this moment, maybe a pause would be helpful. Because I wonder, how does this section leave you feeling? 
as we explore the depths of Job's anguish and grief. How do you feel? Maybe take a few seconds to process. Maybe turn to a neighbor if you want to, or or just think to yourself, how does this leave you? Where are you at? Do that now. To summarize these verses, we can see Job is saying God has turned everything and everyone against me. He feels hopeless. And yet it's at this very point, in the midst of the darkness of despair, that Job's faith comes through in a brief but blinding glimmer of hope. That's verses 25 to 27. They are Job's hope. Those words, I know that my Redeemer lives, have brought comfort and hope to Christians in the middle of suffering for 2,000 years. They're on our lich gate outside. I don't wonder if you've noticed that before. In the middle of war, These words brought comfort to those who lost their loved ones. But what did they mean to Job when he said them? What did I know that my Redeemer lives mean to him in the middle of this? Well, Job has a vision. From the bottom of the well of despair, where he thought there could be no hope, suddenly he finds it. He finds that there is hope for him. A deeply personal, heart-achingly wonderful vindication for him. Because Job sees a redeemer. A redeemer was someone who was tied to you in some way, a covenant or a blood relation. Someone who would stand for you when you could not stand for yourself. We might think of Boaz in the book of Ruth, if you know it. And Job sees his living redeemer standing literally on the dust, on his grave, testifying to his innocence. And this redeemer, they can't be an ordinary person because Job sees this redeemer not just testifying to everyone else, to his friends who've forsaken him, his wife and the children in the streets, This Redeemer stands for him before God as well. Through this living Redeemer, Job sees that even though he may be dead and gone, because of the Redeemer, he will stand before his God and see him with his own eyes. Finally, someone to speak for him. It's a remarkable vision. Remarkable. But how can it be true? Who could fulfill this role before God? Job doesn't know. But we have two things Job didn't to help us understand. 
Firstly, we have chapters 1 and 2, our backstage pass to see behind the scenes. And secondly, we have the New Testament, like our glasses, that help us to see fully what Job could only see fuzzily, what he could only see in part. Let's take a look at each of those in turn. Firstly, as Sarah said, we have chapters 1 and 2. We have our backstage pass Because as Sarah said, you see, Job has gone this whole time thinking that God has done all this to him. And yet we have those chapters, access, a backstage pass into the heavenly throne room. We've seen that it is the accuser. It is Satan who has done this to Job. Satan, you see, is the missing link here. He is what Job and the three friends, none of them factor into their calculations. Without a place for Satan, they simply cannot understand what is happening. The friends are wrong, but so is Job. It isn't God. It is Satan doing this to him. So that's chapters 1 and 2, but also the New Testament Because Job sees this Redeemer figure like a a fuzzy vision. He doesn't know who it is. It's like a light at the end of the tunnel. But who is there? Yet we have the New Testament. We have our glasses to bring this Redeemer into sharper focus. We can see who this Redeemer is. And the New Testament tells us that the Redeemer who stands on Job's grave and speaks a better word for him, is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, sent by the Father in his grace to overcome the accusations of the accuser, to overcome and conquer Satan, and to redeem his people, so that all those who've trusted in Jesus can stand before the Father, face to face, completely redeemed, completely vindicated forever. We are so blessed that we can see more than Job ever could. And so we have an answer to that question from the beginning. Is God for us or against us? Because when we've put our trust in Jesus, the answer is always, always that he is for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What more could the father do to show us he is for us? What more could Jesus, our Redeemer, do to show us his love, to show us that he stands as our vindicator, than to go to the cross and the grave to prove it, that he is for us. Above all, the resurrection is proof that Job's confidence and our hope is sure and certain. Christopher Ash puts it like this. The Father stood upon Christ's tomb and acted as his Redeemer to vindicate him by his resurrection. This same God 
will stand upon the grave of every man and woman in Christ to act as our Redeemer. And on the last day, we will stand justified and vindicated before him by grace in Christ. That is fixed. No matter how we feel, no matter how dark things look around us, that is true. The Bible says that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Job's vision is a flash, a little glimmer of hope. It doesn't you know, it doesn't fix the situation for him. It doesn't make it all right. He's still lost everything. He, he's still sitting in the dust and the ashes of his life. His friends are still slandering him. This is three little verses among chapter after chapter of sorrow. But for the Christian, it's a lifeline. As we walk together through the book of Job, processing all of the emotions that this book has raised for us, perhaps these three little verses are something for us to hold on to as well. Because in answer to the question, is God for us or against us? In the middle of the deepest sorrow and suffering, these three little verses tell us that the answer is always that he is for us. He is for us. Even when it doesn't feel like it, he is for us. Even when we just can't believe it, he is for us. Even when the world doesn't make sense. Even when our hearts are shattered into a million pieces. Even when all our senses tell us that it cannot be true. Even when we feel we have nothing left. He is for us. Always for us in Jesus. Because we know that our Redeemer lives. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to know this deep down in our bones, that you are for us, always for us in Jesus. Help us in those moments of deepest darkness to know we have hope in Jesus. When everything has fallen down around us, even if our friends have left us and we are all alone, help us to remember your love for us. Would your Holy Spirit be always drawing us to him and reminding us of the words of the old hymn. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Amen.